Welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show, your place for a detailed analysis of each episode of Star Trek Discovery. Now here are your hosts, Sean Ray and Rick Tatro. Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. My name is Sean Ray and this is the show where we analyze every aspect of each episode of Star Trek Discovery, and this week we're going to be talking about the third episode of Season 1, which is called Context is for Kings, and it was directed by Akiva Goldsman. And joining me tonight, uh, Rick can't make it, but my Cosmic Potato co-host, Mr. John Irons, is here. John, how are you? I am well, sir. And our guest tonight is the writer responsible for the comic series Bizarre New World and the co-host of the Castle Rock TV podcast, Mr. Skipper Martin. Skipper, how are you? I'm doing excellent. I'm happy to be here. So, we've got a little bit of stuff to talk about tonight, but before we dig into this week's episode, uh, Skipper, why don't you kind of give us an idea of how you felt about the first uh, the first two episodes leading up to the one that we watched yesterday? Do you always put your guests on the spot like this? <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> he does. Okay. All right. All right. I'm game. Ooh. I, I I think this is the kind of show I'm coming at this fresh as as fresh as fresh as a newborn babe. I did watch the first two episodes last week. They left very very little impression on me. I got up yesterday knowing that there was going to be a third show. I tried again to watch episodes one and two and struggled to get through them. And they're, they're not bad. And I think it would be very easy. It's very tempting to just go, ah, it sucks. And it, it's easy to say that. I, I don't think that these uh, – I don't think Star Trek Discovery qualifies as sucks. It doesn't suck. I'm just not particularly interested. I'm not – really caring about the characters. I don't really care. I, I find myself to be awfully bored most of the time. And there's a lot of good stuff to like, but it doesn't really feel like Star Trek. It feels like the name Star Trek slapped on something that kind of sort of resembles it. And it's difficult for me to care. And for all I know, there were plenty of original Trekkers way back in, you know, what, 87 or whatever, when Next Generation came out and they said the same thing. And that might not be a particularly unfair thing to say about episodes one, two, and three of Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. But I'm I'm trying not to unload hate on it, but I'm <laughs> not I'm not in love with it either. And um hmm, I I didn't feel this way about the Deep Space Nine pilot. I didn't feel this way about the Voyager pilot or the Enterprise pilot. So I'm not sure how that bodes. But I can't say I, I probably would not have. I could have waited a little while to see episode three um, when it came out. I only watched it because I was coming on here. How's that? <laughs> Did it? Well, uh, well, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead, John. Uh, um, well, I don't want to jump ahead and ask if it changed your opinion. I'm guessing that it might not have. <laughs> <laughs> good guess good yeah. guess yeah i'm not a big fan of prequels uh i really feel that enterprise was a, a decent prequel i'm not saying enterprise was an amazing show but i i enjoyed that it was at least it was before kirk and you could see that just in the tech alone you know it was kind of current day nasa but a little bit forward the ship was older and slower and the weapons weren't as you know powerful and things like that 
and I, I guess I appreciated it on that kind of level. It seemed to be a nice bridge between today and original series. This is trying. <laughs> it feels like prequel in name only because it's the obvious answer is that it's so high tech. So it makes no sense that this happens before Kirk. OK, you kind of let that go. But then Vulcans are there, but it feels a little fan servicey. And then you have a human who grow up on Vulcan, but apparently Vulcans are just like humans because now she can do a nerve pinch, which makes no fucking sense to me. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that's just weird. Um, and then you take her as a character. I was I'm I'm honestly going to be listening to you guys to change my mind. So, you know, uh, no pressure, but it's on you guys now. So because the show didn't convince me that I should keep watching. So maybe you guys will do uh, a better job of telling me, (laughs) no, 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 this is worth paying attention to. I'm not a hater. I did not like the idea of a prequel. And you got you got me there. But I tried to go in with an open mind. And it's a beautiful looking show. Totally. Um, I like Michelle Yeoh, but I didn't think she was particularly interesting here <laughs> i i'm sorry what is her name uh, the lead michael but she's played by saniqua saniqua honestly she just looked like she was posing a lot there just seemed to be so much posing <laughs> that it, it was difficult for me to care and then you're supposed to kind of believe that she was what she was influenced because she grew up on vulcan that she acts like a wet blanket and is completely uninteresting. Well, maybe that's not a good choice for your lead that I'm supposed (laughs) to care about. (laughs) So, but she's supposed to be part human, but, and they tried to give her those scenes to make her kind of care or some, somebody I'm supposed to care about, but I never did. And okay. I, I, I had the question. I kept asking my girlfriend three or four times during the show. So you guys are now my girlfriend. Take that as you will. Please explain to me something that I just kept getting so angry. I did get angry. I became a hater halfway through the show, and the show did it to me. I promise you, it wasn't <laughs> wasn't built in. Okay. What? Why the fuck? Oh, am I allowed to curse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are <laughs> good. <laughs> Fucking a. Why the <laughs> fuck is she such a pariah? What the hell did she do to cause such hatred that everyone just just cannot stand her? Because the only thing that I saw was that she was kind of an idiot by going down there and landing on the ship. But it's pretty clear the Klingons were going to come out anyways. Um, yeah. then, she, then she committed did- mutiny, but that didn't seem to truly matter. Uh, sorry, please help me out here. No, the the you're right though. I mean, every everything that happened in the episode would have happened whether she committed mutiny or not. But I think that the mutiny is is distinct that's on her that everybody's smelling. You know, it's uh like I said, it's kind of the argument that we that we had on the Cosmic Potato a couple of shows back about uh, Indiana Jones and the fact that no matter what he did in uh, Raiders of, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, everything would have happened anyway. I think everything would have happened whether she had committed mutiny or not. But the fact that she did commit mutiny kind of, uh, you know, caused a problem with uh, well, and, with the way everybody's looking at her. And mutiny too is unheard of, apparently, in this in, at this point in Starfleet. Like no one had ever committed mutiny, and especially so, the people like in the inner circle who actually know who were there, 
know that she turned on her captain and tried to take over the ship, which is really, really bad. But radiating out from that, the people who know less and less and less and heard, you know, third hand and fourth hand, oh, that's the one who started the war with the Klingons. That's the yeah. one who, you know, all her shipmates or are, you know, these various ships blowing up. That's the one who did this, who did that. So all of this is on her shoulders. Some of it fairly, some of it not. But that is, that's, that's why. Yeah, and you saw the girl on the transport at the beginning that was basically blaming her for the death of her friend that she that was on the uh, Europa. Uh, the Europa, yeah. So I think a lot of a lot of people are looking at her like everybody that they know that's died in the last six months. It's her fault, <laughs> you know. Even Fake though the, 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 the Klingons would have attacked anyway, you know. Uh, but I guess the fact that she. That Klingon that she killed, that I mean, that was an accident, right? It looked like yeah, an accident they're not, to me. They're not really yeah. mad at her for that. They're yeah. not really mad at her for that. They're, and frankly, if it hadn't been um, the Shinzu, it would have been some other ship. Because, I mean, right. you know, because they were lying in wait. It was bait. So, yeah. you know, the war was going to start. Somebody was going to do it. The thing that everyone on our side is mad at her for was the mutiny. But think about that. For, unpack that for a second. Well, well not, not just the mutiny. Mutiny and that she... Aside from committing mutiny and taking over the ship, she she did it so that she could fire a preemptive strike on another vessel, which is like, you know, the the most verboten of Starfleetness. Okay, back up for a second. Let's say, as a central conceit to the show, I'm gonna I'm in the pitch meeting. Okay, I got this great idea for Star Trek Discovery. This uh, officer is going to be hated by everybody because she committed the ultimate mutiny that launched a war with the Klingons or whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. As a concept, okay, fine. Maybe I'm just being a real asshole here, but if that is going to be the central conceit that's going to make everybody hate her. I think it needs to be a little more, a little stronger or, or presented stronger, stronger, because as I watched the show, what did she do really? Well, she tried to warn people that Klingons were coming. She was right. She tried to take a preemptive strike, which was probably the right thing to do. She then went down with her captain to try to capture the leader. Again, she was right. Well, yeah, that's uh, Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So she then, you know, tries to, you know, save her captain from being killed. She didn't, but she tried. So all of these things seem to be, and here's here's my disconnect. Those all seem to be what she's being blamed for. And then ultimately, in the end, thousands and thousands and thousands of people die. Who gives a shit if she stood on the bridge and went, I think this is a bad idea. Who cares? Thousands of fucking people died. I don't care about this one idiot who cre- who had, you know, you know, she, you know, she was mutinous. Big fucking deal. That wasn't the reason yeah. that the Klingons attacked. That wasn't the reason anyone died. <laughs> that wasn't even the reason the captain died. Just because she committed mutiny didn't cause any of that. Thousands of fucking people died. I don't care about this one idiot who who had on, on one lone ship that no one no one's going to remember. She committed mutiny. Who gives a fuck? But then take it one step farther. 
she as a character seems to be persecuting herself, stoically sitting there acting like she deserves this. Oh, just let me go. I don't care. Just put me back in prison. Just let me go. I don't want to be a part of it. As if she is blaming herself for something, but she did nothing wrong. So as a character, let, let me give you an example. This is a, okay, this is – I'm going to be the dick here. This is the writer in me speaking up. What if she's the fugitive? She's Harrison Ford. Okay, the entire Starfleet is blaming her, but she didn't do anything wrong. That's compelling. <laughs> but she didn't act that way. She's acting like she's somehow guilty, but she didn't fucking do anything. All so right. I, I don't get why I'm supposed to care. Sorry, I went off on a tangent there. No, no, that's fine. Um, I would say this. Uh, I would say you got you got you got two arguments. You got a. She didn't do anything that she deserves to feel guilty for. Um, and, well, actually, I guess that's the main argument. Uh, but she does feel guilty because, from her perspective, she did do something she felt guilty for. And actually, on on, on the um, what did she do so wrong, uh, I forgot, you, you, you reminded me that she, um, they went, out, they went yeah. down to capture the guy, uh, Takufma, but she killed him. And she didn't kill him by accident. She didn't kill him in self-defense. She murdered him because he murdered the captain. Uh, so that was kind of, I think, her chance to if not, yeah, pretty much redeem herself. That was her chance to redeem herself, or at least to make it right. Uh, it was to capture him, and maybe they could prevent the war or allay it, maybe. Um, but she... I would say that was like her big mistake. That was the one time I would say where she acted rashly. Even the mutiny wasn't rash. It was, it was, I mean, obviously it was mutinous, but there was a good reason for it. Uh, killing, killing to government was, was, you know, pure emotion and arguably is the yeah. reason the war really kicked off. Now, now if you're saying, she is not responsible for every all those people who died. Yeah, you're probably right, but that's not how she feels about it. And if you're saying that everyone shouldn't blame her because she's not responsible, yeah, you're probably right, but that's not how crowds of mob mentality thinks. They, you know, it, it is easy to blame a person, and I am sure you know everyone who can blames that person. Yeah, and I think I think she's more she feels more guilty about Captain Georgiou's death than she does anything else. Because she was the first officer, that was her job was to protect her captain, and she wasn't able to do it. So, but this will be an interesting episode because uh, uh, the last couple of episodes has been a bunch of guys that are really excited about the show and and had a lot of good things to say about it. So it'll be interesting to have somebody that 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 didn't like it as much and get their uh, get their opinion. I'll play. Uh, me and John will play the Christopher DeFilippis part. <laughs> Since on uh, on Castle Rock TV, you guys never agree with each other. So. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, before we get into talking about the actual episode, I wanted to go over some of the um, some of the news about the show about the show itself that that came out since the last time that we recorded. So. Uh, according to Nelson Media Research, 9.5 million viewers tuned in to watch the uh, CBS broadcast of the Vulcan Hello last week. Uh, 
it was a little bit lower than they expected because it was delayed because of the football game. I think they were expecting more like 11 or 12 million, but, um, but nine and a half million is not, not bad for 2017. Um, they don't, they, they can't exactly measure the online stuff the same way that they can TV. But, uh, they, we do know that it was the 19th most pirated video listed on the pirate Bay last week. (laughs) And, uh, the second episode was anyway. And they are talking about that. There's probably going to be a season two, but, but you're probably going to have to wait until 2019 for it to come out. Uh, because the thing with TV shows of today that are being made for services other than traditional networks, they're not on the on a schedule like the networks are. So, uh, so yeah, they can skip a year if they want, or they can skip five years like Curb Your Enthusiasm did, or they can skip ten years like Red Dwarf did, <laughs> you know. And uh, and since, but since the second part of this season is coming sometime, is going to end sometime in in March of 2018. 2019 the early part is not too far of a stretch for that i don't i don't think but um and um and one more thing i have a piece of information to include here because uh, john you remember on the last it may not have been the last week's episode but the one before where we were trying to pinpoint exactly where the timeline is for this show we know it's 10 years before the original series but we were trying to uh determine where it was in relation to the cage, which is the the pilot for Star Trek that had uh, Captain uh, Pike, and um, I started reading the novel Desperate Hours that came out this week. It's uh, written by, uh, forgive me, I forget his name now, but um, he um, they it's the first novel based on uh, Discovery that came out, and it says at the beginning of it that that novel takes place a year before the Vulcan hello. And it takes place one year after the events of the cage. So the Vulcan hello, the pilot takes place two years is out there somewhere. They're wearing those gold and blue uniform and red uniforms. (laughs) And, uh, and, and captain hunt, captain Hunter, Jeffrey Hunter played uh, captain Pike, but captain Pike is in charge of the enterprise. And, I'm thinking maybe in a future season. I don't think they would do it this season, but maybe in a future season we might get Captain Pike as a character. Uh, the Enterprise might be involved. Maybe they'll show us what happened that led to him being in that wheelchair when he was in the menagerie uh, in the in Star Trek's uh, proper series. But uh, but yeah, I just want to throw that stuff out before we get into uh, talking about episode three. So. Um, well, let's do a, a non-spoiler kind of review of the of the episode first, and then and then we'll have a, a plot summary, and we'll get into the spoiler stuff. So, uh, what were some things about episode three that you did like, John? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. No, <laughs> no sorry. sorry. Um, I liked that. Uh, wait, we're not, no spoilers yet, right? Not yet. Yeah. Um, I liked the, uh, dialogue. <laughs> it's hard to do. That's really hard to do. That's what I Um, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the, the, the new characters that we meet. Um, they could easily be annoying and, uh, 
cookie cutter, and I'm hoping that they're not. Um, but I'm I'm looking forward to see where they go with them. Um, I like that. I think it's, it's probably not a spoiler to say that Discovery is a science vessel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I am hopeful. See. <sighs> For me to not for me to do this without spoiling, I can only say like things that I hope are going to happen but haven't happened. <laughs> okay. uh, the things that I like that did happen are spoiled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll get into it in a second. Sk- uh, Skipper, uh, w- what did you think of this episode? <sighs> um. Let's see. <laughs> the credits. <laughs> I do like the credits. Um, <laughs> so let, let me ask you. Let me ask you this, Skipper. Let me ask you this. Sure, please. Um, you said, you know, you're kind of hoping we can convince you. What would it take to convince you? Like, what would you know, change? <laughs> I honestly don't think it's possible, and I don't mean that as a negative, Nelly. I enjoyed Jason Isaac's character. He he was at least forceful. You know, he was at least there michelle yo's character was so wishy-washy she was just kind of there as the mentor and you know with her wry smile and things like that and you know maybe a little bit of sarcasm but she wasn't particularly distinct um no one on the bridge was interesting at all except for doug jones's character everyone else was just kind of there um couldn't give you a single name that should tell you something not a single person names Uh, well i mean one of them the computery guy the computery guy, okay. <laughs> but see, therein lies the problem. I kind of need more of an anchor. I w- I'd like to care. Well, who the hell am I supposed to care about? The emotionless bitch who doesn't care about nothing? <laughs> you know, I should care. Oh, well, yeah, I, I really I, I need to care about her. Uh, the captain who's just kind of there, who wants her to get her own ship, whatever. I mean, I guess my problem is the Klingons didn't seem to be, you know, didn't look or act like Klingons very much. Uh, the Vulcans kind of acted like Vulcans, so that that I, I at least recognize. The actor who played Sarek, and you know, the Vulcans are the Vulcans. They didn't really mess with them too much. And then everyone else is kind of generic, so they don't stand out. Except Doug Jones's character, who finally gets some more interesting things to do. I mean, he he at least has something to bring to it, but it's not very much. It's a pretty bland soup. So then you get to the third one where we finally get to the ship discovery. And yeah, uh, you could see what you could see what they're trying to do. You know, okay, here is a, a really interesting MacGuffin. There's this scientific, you know, goal that they're trying to reach. And there's this war that they're trying to win. And. I, I don't know. I just didn't feel the pressure. I didn't feel the intensity. All these people died, but I didn't feel the weight of their death. You know, instead, all I <clears throat> all I really have to hang my hat on is some derpy little nerd girl that she's stuck in her room with. Who, <laughs> I mean, that's all I could think of was that she was some, you know, she's just stuck in there to appeal to the. Um, Oh, the uncomfortable nerd who just can't talk to people, you know, <laughs> and I, again, she doesn't have a name. 
or at least she probably does, but nothing that is particularly <laughs> distinct. Um, Tilly. Tilly. Yeah. So Sylvia, that, Sylvia Tilly. Yeah. Sylvia Tilly. There were, there were just little moments, but it just doesn't add up to anything. Nothing matters. Nothing seems to matter. It's a lot of talk. And when the action happens, I, uh, since I don't care about the characters, it, it becomes pretty brainless. And then it's just kind of with a, a little garnish of Star Trek on it. Oh, here's a Tribble. Here's a Phaser. But nothing matters. I mean, a Tribble, to, to put the Tribble there is so... Uh, I don't want to say I'm insulted because <laughs> I, I don't, I, you know, I'm not the ult, I'm not the ultimate trekker. I'm not even remotely close. I don't take such ownership over the original series at how dare you. But let's just look at it from the most basic point of view. Unless you tell me that that fucking thing is neutered, well, having it alive sitting on your desk yeah. is a bit of a hazard. But it's sitting there for, it's not sitting there for any other reason than to make trek people go. Oh, look, it's a triple. That's the only reason it's there. And the whole show seemed to only have that kind of window dressing attitude of, well, it's Trek because we say it is. And the, and the biggest part, uh, my girlfriend really you know, crystallizes, and it's so simple. It doesn't feel at all like Star Trek. You know, humanity is supposed to be past all of these, you know, it's supposed to be over these petty problems. And if we are... If we as a if this is a series where we are going to get over that by the end of the series, again, it's too wishy-washy for me to see that coming. And so it just doesn't feel like Trek. Certainly doesn't look like Trek. It looks like J.J. Abrams Trek, which I'm not even that pissed off about that. But to call it a prequel, I don't know. The whole thing just feels like it, it doesn't have its identity figured out at all. And so it's all just a mishmash of stuff that I guess I'm supposed to care about. But at the end, I just shrugged and I went, well, I guess I'm ready for tomorrow's podcast. So I'm kind of glad I watched it. (laughs) (laughs) But that's about it. So, you know, this is the kind of show that I would if, if I didn't come on the show, I wouldn't even bother until it was over and then let people tell me, oh, my God, it's worth seeing. And then I would and then I would binge the whole thing. But. That's not the point of the show. The show itself is supposed to get me to come back, and it's failing pretty badly there. And I'm not a hater. I'm just – I want this thing to be good. Uh, if I'm looking for things I like, Jason Isaacs is always fucking great, even with the goofy sneakers that he's wearing, <laughs> that everyone's wearing. Even in his goofy sneakers and you know, silly-looking outfit, he's awesome. That's about it. I can give you a reason for the trouble that I made up in my head. Please. Um, as you as you say, and as we all know, a, a triple alone is like always pregnant, basically. So a lone triple means you've altered that triple. And I took that um, as an indication of, you know, this cute, cuddly thing th- that this science ship, they do... All kinds of basically, it's a ship kind of a mad scientist. Well intentioned, Starfleet sanctioned mad scientists who are all doing weird experiments on stuff to you know try to get an advantage in the war or just in general. And a lone non-reproductive tribble to me is an indication that 
they will do things. <laughs> they will perform unholy experiments on cute and cuddlies um, in the name of science. So you took it as that that was an abortion trophy sitting on the table. <laughs> we not an abortion trophy, a <laughs> neutered trophy that was sitting there as some kind of symbol. Well, we will take down, you know, the Klingons ultimate, you know, uh, you know, fear and we will just wear it as a badge of honor. Something to that effect. No, just that they. As an indication, as, as I mean, I guess trophy is probably right, but not so much about the Klingons, more about um, we are science and our science will solve any problem, even the ones that aren't necessarily problems for other things. Sean? It, Sean, you there? Yeah, I'm here. He's reaching. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He's so rich. I I did preface it. (laughs) Okay. All right. You know what? Enough of my negative bullshit. Tell me what's so damn great about this show. I mean, you're not going to – I I don't believe you can change my mind. But please, what's so great about it? I'm not going to say that it that it's great because it's just it's just starting. It's it's definitely different. Uh, There's. But you, you said that it didn't feel like Trek. I thought that this episode felt more like Star Trek than the last episode did. Uh, I think I don't know if it was just when they got onto the ship. I I, I felt like that ship felt a little more uh, Federation. Even though the last one had all the sound effects and everything, but I think that the the fact that the Klingons looked so different and they were so prevalent in the in those two episodes. Uh, kind of made it feel a lot different than the Trek that we've seen before. This one felt a little more, not necessarily like TNG and Deep Space Nine, but it felt a little more Enterprise-ish, you know, uh, the uniforms and, and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, it's too early in the series for me to say that it's a great show, but, I mean, it's definitely one that I'm interested in and... Uh, and I'm invested in to, 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 to find out where it's going to go. So, uh, but what, what I liked about this episode was that it was a continuation of those characters. Uh, as far as the, the, the Michael Burnham character and the Saru character, we got to see a continuation of them without really focusing on the Klingons. You know, there was only one Klingon in this episode. And, uh, and there, was, there wasn't any more... It wasn't like the last one. There wasn't battles with the Klingons and stuff like that. It, they went in a different direction with this, so that they could do some character development. And I'm sure we'll get we'll get plenty of Klingons on down the road. But um, but yeah, let, well, let's get into the uh, episode proper, and we'll 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 start doing spoilers and stuff. But John, you want to give us a, a plot summary? Uh, sure. See how enthused he sounds. Come on. <laughs> no, this is, this is me scrolling. I've got like too many windows open. <laughs> like, which word I put that? All right, here we go. The uh, <clears throat> non-spoiler review. Context is for kings. I like that name, by the way. Uh, this episode takes place six months after the events of the last episode. It begins with Burnham in the midst of a prisoner transfer. There's a problem with the ship. The passengers are rescued by Federation ship Discovery while the shuttle is repaired. At this point, the Federation is embroiled in a war with the Klingons. And Burnham is infamous for starting it. She's the only mutineer in the history of Starfleet and the subject of scorn and malignment 
from pretty much everyone she meets. While she doesn't disagree with their assessments, that does not mean she'll roll over and take smack from just random space convicts. Uh, Burnham and the audience is introduced to some of the crew members of the Discovery, including the no-nonsense chief of security, Landry, the moderately mysterious Captain Lorca. Um, if you listen to the, uh, to the last episode, you will note that I totally called that someone would ask her about her name <laughs> and exactly how that went down. I nailed it. <laughs> yes, you did. Uh, anyone who hasn't seen it yet, you shouldn't have been listening to this yet anyway, so it's your fault. Burnham says shit. Yes, she did. Which was awesome, because that's what one would say in that situation. And I didn't, it didn't occur to me that she could do that <laughs> until she did it. And I was like, oh, yeah, she could totally do that. Uh, we learned that Discovery is a cutting-edge science vessel, like sci-fi fringy, good news, everyone, science vessel. I personally would love it if the episodes were devoted to various experiments uh, happening in various little you know, parts of the ship with the war as a backdrop, but it's more likely that the show will follow one project in particular, the work of Lieutenant Stamets, who studies fungi in space, and whose work may be the key to a new kind of faster-than-light travel. I say maybe because the Discovery sister ship, the Glenn, got screwed royally when their more advanced experiments went wrong. Uh, Stamets, and just, again, autocorrect keeps turning that into steamiest for some reason, which was weird, uh, takes a team to retrieve the top secret the top ticket data and find out what went wrong. Uh, and remember when I said the Glenn crew was royally screwed? That was literal. Their bodies were mangled <laughs> like some gruesome red shirt pretzel twists. But that's not the worst part. Uh, they discovered the Klingons boarded the ship after the accident. And also not the worst part because the worst part is the alien rodent of unusual size that killed all the Klingons and then attacked the boarding party. Burnham leads the beasts away, allowing everyone to escape back on the Discovery. Lorca offers her a place on the Discovery. She initially refuses because she thinks, he thinks, that she thinks that she's a rebel. And he can use her to break whatever Starfleet regulations need breaking. But he knew she'd think that. And he assures her that he only wants her for her good qualities and not her bad qualities. And that she can help stop the war that she started. She agrees, and we're off. As an epilogue, we see Commander Landry and Captain Lorca in his bizarro menagerie as she confirms that the creature, the killy killy creature, has been added to his collection. Dun dun dun. Yeah, he was a he was a collector. I mean he had a he had a Gorn skeleton in his in his office. And the Gorn But wouldn't you though, if you could well, I mean, yeah, but at this point in the timeline, <laughs> as far as I knew, they had not even met the Gorn yet, as far as the Federation. So that tells me that he's really into some top secret stuff if he has a skeleton of a creature that they technically haven't even met yet. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> like in his office. So that's what I. So, yeah, now that we're spoiled, that's one of the things I liked about the show that they. You know, because before um, the show aired, before the premiere aired, and, you know, people were saying, how could they have this kind of tech? That doesn't make sense. That was before Kirk. Kirk didn't have that. But if you're basically on the cutting edge science vessel, Mm -hmm. if you're, you're, you know, if you're fringe, if you're, you know, Q, the James Bond Q, not Star Trek Q. Yeah. um, Then, yeah, you can have that stuff. That's how that's how you do it. Because you notice they did like the in ship beaming, 
which, you know, I think Next Generation, when they did it, they're like, wow, I don't think anyone's ever tried this before. Okay, well. I, I seem to remember them saying in the original series that that's, I wish Rick was here to verify, but um, in the original series, they said something about the site to site transport inside the ship that it was really dangerous to do because you could materialize, materialize inside of a bulkhead or something like right. that. Yes. You know? So the and, fact but, that they're doing it and, and doing it seamlessly 10 years before, you know, shows he didn't how even advanced need the this shit was. to get involved. He just told the computer to do it and it was done. Right. Like yeah, perfectly. Yeah. And it was, and if you notice the effect was a much more, uh, next generation type beaming effect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else did I like? I don't know if they were intentional um, little Walking Dead Easter eggs, but I felt like there were. Uh, I'm, uh, I've been talking for a while, Sean or <laughs> Skipper. You want to say something? Yeah, Skipper, you got anything you want to add at this point? Uh, for episode three, hmm, I think I was more in, more engaged. No pun intended. The uh, and. Probably all of that was due to Jason Isaacs. Um, I really feel, uh, not to try and harp on something I've already said before, but as a as a crude example, the main conceit of Voyager is that they are, you know, uh, ridiculously far from home, just trying to get home. Well, if that idea were muddied and they were kind of somewhere but we're not really sure how far and well maybe it was their fault but maybe it wasn't and then maybe i wouldn't care so much so for the central conceit of the show for her to be this outlaw so to speak this pariah that everyone can't stand i kind of wish that was more <clears throat> more important and more cut and dry more you know something really that i can really grab onto and care about uh Again, going back to Harrison Ford and the, and, and, um, the Fugitive, you know, here's a guy who clearly was innocent and everyone hates him and throw, they're literally throwing his life down the drain. And so you feel for him when he breaks out. And I think that that could have been a really great reason for me to care about this character. But she's not any of that. And even she is kind of wishy-washy. Well, she'll help, but she's not sure why. She feels bad about her captain, but she's a prisoner. Yada, yada, yada. So it just feels like so much wishy-washiness. I, I, it was nice to see Jason Isaac walk on. Jason Isaacs walk on. This is how I feel, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got to, hey, wake up, people. We got a war going on, and we got shit to do. And, here, and it was nice to have somebody stand up and have a purpose. Even if I'm not exactly sure what his purpose is, he's there to win the damn war and find this new technology, and he's going to use whatever is at his disposal. Well, at least that's something. So it was nice to have somebody with very clear motivation that I, that I enjoyed watching. And also, I think it really hurt the Michael character to make her kind of sort of Vulcan, because again, that's a wishy-washy choice as opposed to a committed choice to make this character interesting well she's kind of this but she's also kind of this and kind of isn't all that interesting to me but yeah, all they, that aside they, they can make her they can make her vulcan when they want to make her vulcan <laughs> because yeah, yeah, they, they can I, say they can say oh yeah this is where the vulcan part of her comes out or whatever you know but i did like uh the, yeah jason isaac's uh character L- lorca when he was talking to, when he was addressing uh, the crew there, uh, and he told Stamets, uh, 
I'm getting kind of tired of having to tell you every day that we're at a that we're at war. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. one thing that I did notice is when that first that first scene that we see Lorca in. First of all, the effect of the stars reflecting in his eye was really cool. But uh, when he was talking about the fact that he had a, a battle injury and he was uh, he had a sensitivity to light. I almost expected that Microsoft Word paperclip to pop up and say, it looks like you're trying to do some foreshadowing. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like some help with that? (laughs) And the little clip waving at you. Hey! Yeah. Hey! (laughs) And then, you know, uh, everyone in the audience is going, well, it's entirely too bright in this entire show for you then, isn't it, sir? Where are your sunglasses? (laughs) Right, exactly, yeah. He'll be wearing a, vi- a Geordie visor, um, but yeah, I put. Well, it, I put they don't have the- sunglasses in the future. Mm. <laughs> they haven't, they haven't cracked that technology yet. Gotcha. I, I did put in my knee, in my notes that John, John got his wish that um, that when Cadet Sylvia Tilly told <laughs> Michael, "I've never met a female named Michael before. I think I'll call you Mickey. That's a little more approachable." <laughs> she says, "No, you won't. <laughs> no, you won't." Yeah. Uh, Saru uh, was interesting in this episode because when she shows up on the Discovery, he's sitting there. He's the first officer, and it's been six months since she saw him. And uh, you know, he had a couple of pretty good quotable lines in this episode. Uh, he said, I, "I intend to do a better job protecting my captain than you did yours." So he he was you know he he told her like it, what he thought. You know, he told her like it was uh, that. She was she was a good officer until she wasn't, <laughs> you yeah. know. So, uh, but yeah, we learned some things about the discovery that it is a science vessel, but it's obviously going on some top secret missions. That it says that they, uh, Saru tells her that the discovery has been assigned to three hundred discrete science scientific missions, and uh, and then we see that the, the, the well, we're told that the USS Glenn. Uh, was attacked or something happened to it and the crew was lost and they send a crew over to the ship and they and Michael goes with them. Uh, Lieutenant Stamets is in charge of that um, of that mission and uh, Lieutenant Stamets let, let's talk about him for a second because he's in charge of the science experiment that has to do with spores as the building blocks of energy and he's named after a real guy. There's an actual scientist called Paul Stamets and he's actually doing work in this area. He's a mycologist and he's doing work in bioremediation, which is it uses biological entities to neutralize contaminated sites and, and things like that. And he's also an advocate of medicinal mushrooms. So, (laughs) okay. But, uh, they, they interviewed him. I don't know if you guys watched after truck last night, they interviewed him for a few minutes on there and uh, this uh, this technology that they're working on basically is using some kind of spores that are supposedly spread throughout the universe, and they can kind of ride on them and use them and use them as uh, transportation, so that they can instantly get to different points in the universe uh, si- almost simultaneously, like within seconds. And uh, what did they call it? They called it. Uh, some kind of like biological drive or something like that, but biological propulsion. But obviously this is a, um, 
technology that is lost in the future or it doesn't go anywhere or something happens to it, which kind of explains to me why the stuff on this ship that is so much more advanced than what we had on TOS, we don't see it on TOS because a lot of this stuff, something's going to happen and this stuff is going to be lost. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm thinking it's, a, it's an Atlantis situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like, I'm, like I, I, I would love if that was the show like if if you know these very like i mean not not as silly as eureka but you know if if that was a regular plot plot line of the show was i'm working on this thing and this thing got loose or i'm working on this thing and here's what we can do with it i'm working on this thing and let's test it and see if we can use it against the klingons that's what I'm hoping the show will do. I, I, I mean, not that I don't care about the war with the Klingons, but I kind of don't. Like, it, it, well, we know how it's going to work out. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, there's going to be a treaty. <laughs> there is that. But even like, I, you know, I don't like a war show. I'm not I, I, like that's not my thing. Nor is, um, you know, watching aliens chased astronauts through hallways. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I've, I've, you know, the alien monster. Then, but fortunately, they, they, they didn't stretch it out. Like they were on the ship for like five, ten minutes. Um, the the Alice in Wonderland quote was weird. That uh, was weird. That was weird. Let, uh, yeah, let's let's unpack that that scene a little <laughs> bit. They, <laughs> because they get, they get over to the ship, and obviously something horrible has happened over there. There's there's bloody handprints on the walls the crew is torn to pieces and what parts of them are not torn to pieces are horribly disfigured and it was a lot more graphic than anything i've ever seen in star trek before agreed oh totally absolutely yeah agreed. Yeah, yeah during the show yeah i think i've yeah. seen like that on the movie but yeah well this is um the, the their their set designer that kind of did the work on the on the torn up bodies and stuff like that I can't remember his name now, but he's done work on like Silent Hill and uh, Resident Evil and stuff. So this this is his bag, you know. He was he was a horror guy, so he he set the scene up. The scene was basically a horror movie, you know. We we see these bodies, we get chased by a monster. It was a pretty good looking monster. There was a Klingon there that I never could figure out why he was there. He just he, was, he just he was, he was like the last survivor of the the little looting raiding party that showed up after the accident. Okay, and he and he just looks at him and and shushes him, yeah. And then he gets he gets killed by the monster. But then uh, they're trying to escape, and, and <laughs> Michael, yeah, exactly, yeah. Michael uh, distracts the monster long enough for them to get back to the shuttle, and she's crawling through the Jeffries tube with the monster behind her, and she's quoting Alice in Wonderland, the like the book, and uh, I mean later she tells uh tilly that her mother used to read that story to her but um i don't think if i was being chased by a monster i would be calm enough to be quoting uh works of uh, ancient literature well (laughs) to myself i don't necessarily mind it It, there was no setup for it you know if if on the last episode we if we had seen that book if we had seen her that like that's quoting that book makes her calm or something but it, but without any context, and I guess context is I guess I'm not a king, uh, but with, <laughs> without any, 
you know, understanding of why she was doing that at that moment. Because it's not like we hadn't seen her in tough situations. Like, she's, we've seen her in, like, three or four at this point, life or death situations. Um, maybe she just does it when she's alone. I don't know. I don't know. It just, it, maybe it'll make more sense later or it'll fit in more later. But even if she was, like, humming it or just, you know, if you could hear her thinking it, it would, but it was, I don't know. I don't know. I had to, I had to rewind it to figure out what in the world she was saying, you know, because she just starts talking. And I thought she was talking to someone on her comm badge or something. Uh, but then I remembered they don't have com badges yet. <laughs> right. They're supposed to use communicators, and uh, but she's just talking. So I rewound it and turned on the closed caption to see exactly what she's saying. It's like that looks like she's quoting Alice in Wonderland, and yeah, that's what she was doing. Was, yeah, I didn't think about that, but yeah, I, I watched. I think I had the closed caption on when I watched it, so yeah. I, I don't know if I would have recognized it without that. Skipper, what'd you think of this sequence, the the horror sequence on the on the uh, Glen? It felt um, strange in kind of a almost a hmm, gratuitous, uh, gratuitous fact. It's like, you know, meant to shock me only because, well, here's something we don't do on Star Trek. And <laughs> yeah. it uh, for that purpose, hey, it worked. Oh, shit. That, wow. Don't see that on yeah. Star Trek. And that's, uh, that's interesting. But and again, it just mostly left me cold. Oh, well this isn't Star Trek or it just doesn't feel like Star Trek. And it, it just kept reinforcing my opinion that I, I don't know why I'm watching this. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I guess it's okay. It's okay. It's fine. But it, it kind of all comes back to the central conceit of why, you know, I'm not responding as well as I would like to. I, I, I'm not, I, I don't feel like I know where I'm, where I'm supposed to care or why. And um, it, it just feels muddied. And um, as you guys were talking, uh, we were uh, as you you guys were giving some basic examples of where the show was going. And I'm like, you know, if I you know, and this is a really shitty, stupid, sad, pathetic thing to do. Hence, while I'll do it, um, <laughs> <laughs> when you know, writers do this to the uh, to each other all the time, and I think it's uh, rather you know terrible and horrible thing to do and but then i find I, you know especially once it was done to me i fucking hated it well n- you know now i'll do it which is okay can you explain you know your central concept in a sentence or two well if i you guys don't even have to verbalize the words if i were to tell you as an assignment in two sentences or less tell me what voyager is about you guys don't even have to create the words you know you could do it yeah. you can rearrange the words in your head and you'll figure it out what is the basic concept of Deep Space Nine? You guys could do it <laughs> in two sentences or less. Not a problem. What is the central conceit of Star Trek or Star Trek, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation? Same thing. What is this show? I, <laughs> I don't know that that's required. I'm not, say- I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it is. I'm, I'm not... You're just you're saying it's different. That's part of why it doesn't feel like Star Trek because you can't do that now. No, it's it's one of those things that it it's it's reinforcing my uh, you know, I, I I literally when the show ended yesterday, I turned to my girlfriend. And I said, "Why should I give a fuck?" And it's really simple. Do you give a <laughs> sh- do you give a shit? And and why should I? Why should I even want to come back next week? 
for the Klingon war, eh. for the technology they're discovering, eh. you know, to watch her become a respected officer again. Well, I don't even like her. So why do I give a shit? The point of this show is we're not going to tell you what it's about. <laughs> okay. It's got the Star Trek name. It's got a ship. They got phasers and they got the insignia and it's even got sound effects too. Woo-hoo! But what is the show about? Beats me. We're not going to tell you. And by the end of the pilot, oh, she's half Vulcan, and the captain is dead, and she's the mutineer, and so on and so on and so on. By the third episode, they are still unfolding what this thing is about. Oh, here's this ship discovery, and here is what it's about, and here's this new captain. So it's like, you're right. It feels like the point of the show is we're not going to tell you what the point of the show is. And by the end of the but you know, maybe by the end it will be revealed that this entire ten episode, whatever it is, prequel is all about watching humanity ditch all the problems humanity had. That's what the entire point of this first season is all about. And we're not gonna you're not gonna know until you get to the end. Well, maybe that's gonna unfold like an onion and be interesting. And and that at least is intriguing. So congrats. You got me somewhat interested. Thanks. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I do think that it is un- unfolded because I, and maybe that's part of it too. Like I, there are there are other sci-fi shows that I went in. I don't know anything about them. Like uh, what, uh, what's on sci-fi? Um, Killjoys and um, uh, Dark Matter. I knew nothing about Dark Matter, and that's actually part of the show. Like these, they wake up on a on a spaceship. They don't know who they are. I'm like, oh god, this thing again. <laughs> but what did I call it? The, the hangover, the hangover syndrome. Oh, okay. We, we got to figure out why we're here. Blah blah blah. But um, as you discover more, they discover more, um, and I don't. I think that's why it doesn't really bother me, um, aside from the fact that it's Star Trek. But the, you know, you got to. I shifted my expectations. You know, if you, if you go in expecting Pepsi and you, you get milk, it's not going to be good. But I, I I went in, I was like, you know what, I'm not sure what this is going to be, so let me just be open. And so not expecting this standard, this is what the show is going to do in the pilot, I think helped me, um, you know, pivot as needed. And I, I, I am intrigued enough, I like it. Um obviously um but i but i i can totally hear where you're coming from and and why you, why you don't um i i and i'm still gonna you know give him leeway uh but i think i would have liked it it better if they had if you had seen more of her journey from um, her her Vulcan mentality to the more Starfleet mentality to the human mentality or whatever. So like you said, I mean, basically at this point, you know, at this point she's just a person and she can be logical and she can be emotional. I'm the one why, you know, you went through all this trouble of inserting her into, you know, Sarek's house and having her raised by a Vulcan. That needs to pay off in some way. Otherwise, she could just be, you know, kind of a stuffy person. So I'm, 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 uh, I'm optimistic that 
that'll come to pass. <clears throat> what are you guys hearing in regards to feedback? I've seen a little bit, you know, a little bit of vitriol. I have not really gone out to look at reviews. What are you guys hearing from other from other Trek people? Are are people loving the show? Are they indifferent? Are they a bunch of skippers? Or are they <laughs> or are they a bunch of Johns? <laughs> <laughs> It is it is uh, one one side or the other. There's not a lot of in between. You've got uh, you've got a lot of people that obviously love the show, and you've got a lot of people that don't want to even give the show a chance. And the people that don't want to give the show a chance are mainly turned off because they have to pay for it. Uh, which is why it's number sure. 19 on the pirate list <laughs> so how, how many, right what now. What um, would you say there are skippers who gave the show a chance and just aren't feeling it? I haven't seen a lot of those because most of the people that I've seen that are hating on it really haven't even watched it. Or they watched that first episode that they could watch for free and were so <laughs> mad that it ended on a cliffhanger. And like, hey, did you did you not realize it was going to end on a cliffhanger? Because they want you to come to CBS All Access and give them six bucks so you can watch the next one. But uh, but yeah, but then you got the other people that are that, that they don't like the fact that the tech is more advanced. They don't like the fact that the Klingons. Look, you know, we talked about all that stuff uh, in the first episode, but. Um, but yeah, I'm not seeing a lot of a lot of uh, comments of people that have watched the show and just it hasn't really grabbed them. It's just it's either hey, I love this show, or I'm not even going to watch that show. I'm watching the Orville, you, you know. So, uh, can I ask you about that? What the Orville? Yeah, I mean, as a ba- you know, uh, we could obviously do an entire hour on the Orville, but the basics. What do you guys individually think of the Orville? We, yeah, we talked about a little bit of it last week, but it was uh, I, I, I like the show. I just <laughs> gonna hang around. I think we're gonna talk about it on the next. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're we're eventually gonna do a whole episode of Cosmic Potato about it. But um, I like the show. I just don't like that it's it's basically just a generic Star Trek. There, it's like Seth MacFarlane is just trying to make Star Trek, but put you know, put dick jokes in it, basically. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> John, how do you feel? Uh, we're we've seen what four episodes at this point. Yeah, yeah. Three episodes, four episodes. Um, I was um, more forgiving earlier. I think this this whatever happens Thursday is probably going to make or break it for me. Um, because <clears throat> excuse me. I appreciate what they're, you know, that they are, you know, they're trying to be a, a legitimate sci-fi show in their own right. They're obviously, you know, uh, borrowing heavily, let's say politely, from Star Trek. Huh. Um, they are, uh, you know, they're trying to do the Seth MacFarlane humor. Like, so they're trying to do a lot of things. They're trying to, you know, basically they're trying to be Galaxy Quest, but also kind of their own thing. Um, which is fine. You know, good for you. But you need to pick a pony and run with it. And even not saying even as a total show. Like, if you want to... If this is a funny episode, fine. If this is a serious episode, fine. If this is all science fine. But they're trying to do everything um, in the same episode, and so it negates itself. 
you know, you you'll they'll, they'll have like a decent, they'll have like a good plot, like a good sci-fi concept to start with. Um, but then, like you said, dick jokes. But like, okay, well, if you're not taking it seriously, don't expect me to take it seriously. Not that you can't be funny in a sci-fi show, but just decide, decide what you're gonna do. Yeah. Like if the stakes are high, if you're gonna be silly, then make the stakes low. Or make everything in your universe silly. Or have just one guy who's silly. You know, yeah. have everybody else be like, you know, taking this seriously, and then have one Joker who who's who's the Joker. But honestly, it's like. 70% of the Orville is silly. The other 30% are not, and nobody that they encounter is. So they just look like a bunch of assholes rolling through the universe. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> Which I'm la- not interested in seeing. The last episode, <laughs> the last episode was... It was like the whole plot was serious, but we've still got to throw these jokes in there. We've got to have... This scene's got to have this joke. This joke does not fit in the scene because this is a serious scene. But we're going to throw a joke in there anyway. And it did the, like And it wasn't. But, it wasn't a bad story. I mean, it was. A, it was a decent no, science fiction all, story. All of the it, plot lines. All of the plot lines from every episode I've seen has been a good plot line that could have been a good sci-fi show. Yeah. Um, but they again, if they're not going to take it seriously. Why should I? And and if they again, if they just had one person that they gave all this, I mean, that's why like True Blood basically did that. They had two characters who would say crazy shit, um, but everybody else took what was going on seriously. But like none of, I just yeah, they got one more episode. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it if it wasn't if it wasn't Seth MacFarlane, I really don't think it would be on Fox. I think it would be on the Sci Fi Channel somewhere or something like that. But are you are you enjoying it, Skipper? Uh, I was talking to DeFilippis offline about it, and um, my opinion of the Orville is it, it's kind of like very similar to Discovery in that I'm not it's I, I kind of dislike it at the concept level, and then no 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 just give it a shot and let it let it do its thing and see what it's doing and uh, what is the concept? Well, Seth MacFarlane is. Kind of a Kirkish styled leading man. No, he's not. I mean, he's not even close. But okay, all right. Well, that would be that would work <laughs> as a comedy. As a comedy, him being Kirk. Okay, that could work. But it doesn't. It's not funny enough. Okay. And yeah. so, is this show a Star Trek parody or is it a Star Trek ripoff? Okay, well, if it's not a parody, well, then it's a fucking blatant ripoff. Oh, no, 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 it's a parody, but not really. So it kind of wants to play it both ways. Kind of like, and the analogy I came up with was uh, Superman Returns. Well, it's kind of a sequel to Superman 2, but it's kind of a reboot, but it's not, but it is. Hey, did it work? No. (laughs) Well, (laughs) the Orville is kind of that. It wants you to laugh at the Star Trek isms. It wants you to you know, enjoy the jokes, but then it also, at the same time, wants you to care and take ideas seriously. And you're right. Am I supposed to care? Or is this a half-hearted attempt? Oh, but don't worry. Just let that go because it's funny. But what if it's not that funny? Well, but it's it's trying to you know have a real story, too. Was Seth MacFarlane as a leading man? Really? 
Okay. I mean, again, it, it tries and it's kind of fun to watch it flail. <laughs> You know, it's like, it, it, you know, I can kind of stand back and watch. Look at this thing trying. And then you got Brandon Braga, who directed probably the strongest episode so far in regards to uh, them wanting to change the gender of their baby because that's, you yeah. know, their their race. Well, that's a serious, serious subject. And you could see Brandon Braga behind the scenes at his pottery wheel, molding it into a Star <laughs> Trek episode, right? I know all the yeah, ingredients. Yeah. I know all the beats. I can, And he's just sitting there building this thing, and then someone farts on it, and it all fucking you know, drips away, right? It's got some joke <laughs> to kind of try to dissipate it. And then, I mean, the, uh, unfortunately, there are too many things that take me out of it. So they stupidly, and this is absolute pure laziness on Seth MacFarlane's part. He's such a bad comedy writer that the only thing he can do is go to his DVD collection and make fun of stuff from current day and try to transplant that shit into the 24th century. You look like a hack. I mean, you really look like yeah. a jackass. Oh, I, I can't I can't write a joke. Let me look at my DVD collection. Ha ha. There's an idea, and I'll just transplant that in. Now, you can get away with that once or twice. The problem is they're doing that at, like, at least three to four times in every episode. So you just look yeah. stupid. Well, golly, I wonder who wrote this. Take a guess. Well, <laughs> so that kind of thing, it's weird because... Forget all of that. Take everything that I just dumped on my desk and shove it off. Clean slate. Just look at it for what it is. The funny thing is that it is more Star Trek than Discovery. And people are saying that for a reason because the tone is there. Even if it's a copy of a copy of a copy through a fart joke lens, it's still trying to be Star Trek, right? And you feel the, it. The the social issues manifest through sci-fi allegory. Yeah, it's it's there. It, it it is trying to be, you know, TNG funny, TNG for the Comedy Channel, right? You know, it, it's tr- the from the costumes to, I mean, just everything. It all just feels like TNG. And yeah, that's, that, weird. that's what they're that. Yeah, that's what they're going for is to try and uh, try and make it episodic like the old Star Trek was. But what Star Trek proper is trying to do is update it for 2017, where people binge stuff. You know, so you've got these storylines that last through an entire season instead of being an episodic format. So it kind of competes with each other. Star Trek itself is trying to update to the 21st century. The Orville is trying to play. Uh, homage to uh, what Star Trek was, you know, twenty years ago. So well, you got the, you've got competing things there because I, I, I'm I'm interested in seeing what what Star Trek wants to do for the future, but I also have nostalgia for the way Star Trek used to feel. So I kind of get that fix by watching the Orville, and I kind of get my my fix of seeing something different with Star Trek by watching. No, that's perfectly put. I got a, I got a shitty question to ask both of you. This is uh, admittedly a totally shitty question. Can you guys t- handle a shitty question? <laughs> sure. <laughs> if you didn't know, if you could, you know, I'll uh, break out the Men in Black deneuralizer and zap you both, and you just watch episode one, two, three of Discovery, you know, completely cold in a vacuum. Hey, guys, 
guess what? They're doing a new Star Trek. And this came, I, I hit you guys at 2012. I jump back in my fucking DeLorean. I, I jump out and go, hey, look, here's this new Star Trek from 2017. I want you guys to just sit down and watch it. And then without any hype, you have no idea what you're watching. You just watch these three episodes. And at the end of those three episodes, I say to you one thing separately. You guys are in separate rooms. <laughs> but just go with me here. I said it was shitty. Just go with me here. <laughs> I then approach each one of you and say, do you believe me? Yes or no. Brian Fuller, the name you saw at the beginning of the show, the guy who invented it, he ended up leaving the show before it even aired. Do you believe me? Yes or no. (laughs) Uh, I believe you because, because episode three, okay. Brian Fuller wrote the first two episodes and you can feel a difference in those two episodes than in the third one. There's a whole, there's a shift of the entire story. It's almost like the first two episodes are a prologue for the rest of what we're going to see in the season. So yeah, I, I feel I could tell that there is a, a shift in tone between those first two episodes and, and the third one. So yeah, I, I could believe that there was somebody involved there that, uh, that left right. <laughs> or a different writer for the, for the third one. Anyway, now, John, after you got over the fact that I fucked with you and said, Donald Trump is president, forget that. <laughs> <laughs> and you went, Oh, this is all bullshit. Well, that was see, a great if you told me that first and I wouldn't believe anything you said after. Me, so. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Don't, don't so, so answer the question. Um, yeah, I would, because I, it is different, but I, Again, I mean that's I, I allow a lot of elasticity for uh, uh, for creative types. So I, I would, you know, as, as long as it's still kind of in the same vein and I see similar elements, which I do, I would say sure, I'll buy it. We're trying something a little different, but uh, okay. I'm so curious if the show, honestly, I'm being honest here. I'm wondering if the show is going to become something better than what it is. It's not. It's not terrible as is, but it's the kind of show that I could imagine that it's all going to connect into something bigger later. And I'm going to have to rewatch it to see all the things that led up to something that I don't even know. Is that possible? Totally. That's kind of what I'm hoping for. Like, I, I agree with what you're saying, um, Sean, about the episodic. That's, I would love that. I, I think like a good example of, um, um, like each show with its own kind of thing of the week, but there were little bits and pieces that led to an overall season arc that you didn't really realize until later. Um, uh, Buffy did that well. Uh, was it The Librarians? Not a great show, but it did that well. Um, Eureka did that usually pretty well. My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. <laughs> <laughs> Does that well. How the hell did you get that in there? This guy's I'm an just, artist. How did you get Star Trek to My Little Pond? Oh, man, that's genius. It's right a good there. show. Just, <laughs> but no, like in terms of like every episode has its own little plot, but there is a larger string that is going through the season that you don't, you may or may not realize until, you know, until they get to the finale. That's what I'm hoping for because I don't want. I really don't want one story that just unfolds week after week after week after week after week after week after week, where previously on, like, no. I mean, not, I mean, I'll do it, obviously. Like, I mean, I, I like shows like that, 
but I would also love, and that to me, you know, you're talking about that Star Trek feel. That to me is part of what makes Star Trek also. Where are we going this week? What are we doing this week? What alien are we going to meet this week? You know, I've, I've got enough uh, Game of Thrones and Walking Dead and like I like those shows, but I it, it would be nice to see yeah, a show where yeah. I can just watch an episode. <laughs> I can just watch an episode, and oh, that's the one with so and so. I can't, I can't. Aside from like the Red Wedding, um, I can't really name any episode of Game of Thrones because it's all one long story. I would, I would, I would. Yeah, all, the, all those Marvel shows are the same way. Like Luke Cage and all yeah. that. I, I can't tell you what happened in each episode, but I can tell you. What happened in the show yeah, itself? I can tell you what happened. Kind of like Deep Space Nine. Yeah, guys. <laughs> well, Deep Space, Deep Space Nine. Nine e- Deep Space Nine was episodic. They had they had lo- season long arcs, but they they also did have yeah, you know, episode of the week kind of things. That yeah, they they were the ones that kind of yeah they were the ones that kind of started that. Yeah, they did. They weren't they weren't so overarching that there was. Uh, that there was one story that went from season premiere to season finale. Or series premiere to series finale. Yeah, yeah. But they would be episodic, and then they would have, like, a a three-episode arc, you know, something like that, without doing, like, the whole to-be-continued at the end. Yeah, that's what I would... That, to me, would be ideal. I think think Deep Space Nine definitely balanced that equation a lot better than what this show's doing. I I absolutely agree with you, John, that this one isn't – it's not doing the episodic – it's not making the individual episodes themselves interesting as opposed to Twin Peaks to return where you couldn't just watch episode eight. Well, especially episode eight, but episode five or ten. You couldn't watch any individual episode and enjoy it on its own. You had to watch the whole thing. And I'm not saying this is a terrible idea, but it's it's different than what we're used to. Yeah, I'm not necessarily opposed to that, but it would be refreshing. I would I would prefer it if there were um, standalone episodes. Let's uh, I've got some listener feedback that I want to uh, to share before we close out. First of all. Uh, Rick, like I said, he couldn't be here tonight, but I asked him, you know, if he had any thoughts on last night's episode, he wanted me to relay. He said, I love Burnham more with each episode, but Saru stole the show this week. Yeah, he's, he's my favorite character. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's good. He's good. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what, where they're going to go with that because I think eventually, yeah, right now. He's kind of got his problems with Michael, but I think they're eventually going to, let me ask you a question about the episode. Um, and I guess this is, this is for both of you. All right. I, I think uh, we can safely assume that uh, Lorca was giving Michael little tests like throughout the episode. Um, I'm pretty sure yeah. the, the, the lunchroom fight was, you know, a test. And, you know, even the um, being on the shuttle how do you deal with, okay, certain death? And, you know, the other prisoners were panicking and she was kind of sat there, which is not necessarily a good thing, but <laughs> you know, she didn't panic, but she also kind of didn't care whether she lived or died. So, you know, so I think that was kind of a test. Do you think it was a test for her to break into the lab? Do you think he was, do you think he had a preferred whether she would or wouldn't? I think he knew that she would. I mean, 
just just telling her that she can't do it until <laughs> <laughs> uh, made him know that she would probably at least try. And uh, and it wasn't very hard for her to get in there. No. I think that's why I think that's why she was put in a room with uh, with Sylvia Tilly at, to begin with because he knew that uh, that girl had access to the lab and she would figure out a way to use her to get in there, whether by manipulating her to let her in there or by doing what she did and collecting some of her slobber. Slobber. The proper term is mouth DNA. Thank you very much. Oh, mouth yeah, DNA. True. true. <laughs> I'm going with slobber. I'm leaning on, I'm leaning on yeah. team slobber on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Let me share this uh, this email. This is from uh, Mary E. Freer, and this was on Facebook. She says, Hi, I just uh, finished listening to your review of the Discovery Pilot. Great show. Nice to have so many of you giving, giving us your opinions. I had seen and heard virtually nothing about the new series before it aired. Most of my knowledge came from the first half of your preview show. I hadn't watched the trailer, didn't want to get dragged into the abyss of fan fury, rather judged for myself on the product itself. I was pleasantly surprised at the second episode. I thought we'd only have one. I love the small callbacks to previous Star Trek in the theme and the sound effects. Appreciated that it uh, it doesn't have to bog itself down with trying to reimagine what has gone before. It's taking its own route. One complaint that I've noticed is the use of better tech in a prequel than in the original. I can't give a a rat's arse, really. (laughs) It enhances the show rather than detracting from me personally. However, it did lead me to wonder why they keep going backwards with Enterprise and now Discovery. I'd be interested to see something in the future of Star Trek as well as the prequels. Thanks for a great show. Look forward to the rest of the season. Mary. Thank you, Mary. And, uh, yeah, we've we've heard a lot of that. I mean, Skipper kind of said some of that in the beginning that, uh, uh, He'd rather go forward than go backward. I know you said that when you were on the uh, on the Prime Direction a couple of months back, but I, I think that if this show is successful, we may get something in the future because they're already talking about doing a a, a con um, uh, miniseries, and if they start doing miniseries like that, then maybe some, eventually they'll get to the the future timeline. I'm just, I'm guessing, but. <laughs> so all I needed to do to get you to read my email was sign it Mary. That's all I needed to do. <laughs> awesome. Was that you? Awesome. Uh, well, you uh, yeah, you're so easy. And use the word arse. <laughs> and use the word arse. Yeah. Yeah. And this one comes to us from email. And we don't have a simply syndicated discovery after show email, but if you want to email us, You can email us at the Cosmic Potato page. Um, This is from Shane Thomas. Uh, He says, hi, everyone. This is kind of a long one. Hi, everyone. These episodes were my first ever foray into any kind of Star Trek, which I largely enjoyed. If the show is going to succeed, then it depends heavily on bringing in people like me, as the big fans like yourselves will probably watch regardless. I can't imagine Rick's going out of his way to pay $7 a month for many other shows. One slight criticism was David Simmel's direction when we're introduced to Burnham and Giorgio. The camera was often too far away from both of them when they were conversing. When the storm is closing on them, I felt you needed to have a camera a lot closer to them, medium close-ups and close-ups, as that helps the tension build. We didn't get many reaction shots when one would speak to the other. 
my reason for highlighting this was that you're dropping us in a new world and new people we haven't met before. So let us actually see them and center the people over the spectacle. It didn't ruin the scene, but it should have been more gripping than it was. Adam Kane did a much better job of this in episode two. He immediately begins the episode with tighter shots on the characters, which gives them a better chance to communicate their feelings to the audience and sometimes positions the camera at an angle, giving the impression of something going wrong and being off kilter. Finally, on the topic of representation, when Burnham was has her flyby in episode one, alighting on the Klingon, Sonequa Martin-Green does a really good job of expressing excitement and wonder. ...of adventure. The only word to effectively describe it is wow. The way I'm sure the earlier incarnations of the show inflamed your personal sense of wonder, I think of the younger viewers who would have felt the same at that scene, especially young black girls. I wonder how many of them are now Trek fans for life. Insightful email. I think Shane should be directing an episode. I have a... um, I have a voicemail, too. Hi, folks. How you doing? I'm just uh, calling about uh, the Star Trek Discovery. I've seen the two first episodes. This is Jeff. They're amazing. I just want to say that as a lifelong Star Trek fan, uh, I I think this is more than I could have hoped for. Um, I'm very, very happy with how they've come out. What, uh, you know, some people were concerned with a lot of things, such as the Klingons, um, how they look. You know, here's my thought on the Klingons. Um, what if the new look of the Klingons is the producer's way of kind of challenging Star Trek fans? You know, because as longtime Star Trek fans, we we know the Klingons. You know, they're kind of a samurai or Viking type race. You know, warrior class, and we're very comfortable with them. So if they're really introduced. You know, it's like, okay, we know who they are. You know, they're the samurai Viking race, and we're, you know. Uh, but if you change the look, you make them alien again, then that challenges us. That makes us look at them again. What is the backstory? Where do they really come from? What is their real motivation? Have we been just kind of uh, stereotyping them as this warrior race without really understanding their motivation? And it allows a more nuanced portrayal of the race. So I'm loving it and uh, hope it continues to be as good as the first two uh, shows were. So thank you. So that was a voicemail. That was from Jeff. Uh, sent it to us on our uh, our voicemail number. You guys, if you want to know, is area code 205-642-8380. I tried to make that spell something, and it doesn't spell anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, and like I said, you can email us if you want to. That's uh, mail at cosmicpotato.com. And, of course, we got the Facebook page, Simply Syndicated Discovery After Show. You can leave us a message on there, and I'll share all those messages on the show. Uh, One thing I did want to mention before we ended was at the end of the episode uh, when um, Lorca is trying to talk Burnham into staying, he puts her in that booth and kind of transports her to all these different planets. (laughs) One of them was was Romulus. And 
if you remember in Balance of Terror on uh, TOS, Spock said that no one from the Federation has had anything to do with the Romulans for at least a hundred years since the end of the war. And, but obviously they have technology that they can just go to the Romulan homeworld anytime they feel like it. So I'm thinking that this is my prediction. Scott said last week that we might see section 31 on this show. I don't think we're going to see section 31. I think that we may be seeing the birth of section 31. I think that section 31 may come from this technology. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you if you if you can go to an enemy homeworld simultaneously, I mean, instantly without them even knowing that you're there, just pop in, pop out, then there's obviously some room for some covert operations to be uh, to be used with that technology. But that's just uh, one man's prediction. <laughs> I um, unrelated note um i actually you know that the after show I, it was a rare occasion i was actually home when it aired mm. live so I, I i tweeted in a question he didn't ask it though <laughs> we'll ask <laughs> but, us see if we see if we can answer it I'll, gi- I'll give it a shot my question was um oh how did i put it oh um soru has soru has like the threat ganglia he has basically he has a spidey sense is his spider sense yeah. constantly tingling when he's around the captain, since the captain's obviously hiding something, or is that is he just inured to it at this point? Not sure I understand the question. The Saru, the science officer, has an innate sense of danger. He knows when, even when he doesn't know what the danger is, as seen this last episode when the, the, the prisoner shuttle was leaving, but his little threat thing still went off. And he didn't know why, but he discovered later it was because Burnham was still on the ship. Ah. So, so he knows, he, he senses danger or death or threats. So my question is, is that sense, is there anything about Captain Lorca, who obviously who's setting off Spidey alert and everyone who's watching him <laughs> is that is is that being triggered in some way uh, by Saru and if not why not I'm, why would he even serve on a ship with him I, it is, hey Sean can you see why that question didn't get answered yeah <laughs> just kidding just kidding not go off? I think that the answer like I want you on this ship I think that the answer is going to be uh, whatever the plot needs it to be for that week <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be oh, one, that's a bit unfair. that's gonna be okay. one of those que- yeah that's gonna be one of those questions that's just it, it, it's kind of like when does when does my when is Michael a Vulcan and when is she a human? It's just when whenever the plot needs her to be a Vulcan <laughs> she's gonna be a Vulcan yeah. you know so I think that some of that stuff is going to get fleshed out over time, but uh, just and he, also we know that he has threat ganglia because we read it on the uh, on the character stuff that came out before the show. He didn't exact. He hasn't exactly explained that on the show. I think they're going. They're going to explain it in the next well, he episode. Kinda did. I mean, he he, he, he said that he, and he, and he that he can tell when death is coming or something like that. But as far as the stuff coming out of his neck, 
he hasn't actually explained it. Now they 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 are going to explain it in the next episode because I saw a clip. And yeah, uh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I, I saw the clip right after the show. Yeah, so maybe. I, but you're waiting until episode four to really explain it, and you showed it to us at least once in this episode. And if you didn't if you didn't read any of the character bio stuff, you might not know that that's what was happening. You know, but right. but anyway, that's yeah. Let's uh let's close this episode out and uh. Skipper, thank you for being here. Nah, come on. I must I ruined this, man. No, you I was didn't. nothing. I, <laughs> I took a whiz on everything. I stunk up the joint. No, we 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 definitely needed uh needed to look at it from uh, the perspective of uh of someone that is not as uh enamored of the fact that we have new Star Trek as uh, as we are. <laughs> so um but yeah, your uh, your podcast is called uh, the Castle Rock TV podcast. You want to tell the audience a little bit about it? Uh, with my host Christopher D. Philippus, we are gearing up for Hulu's uh, ten uh, ten episode uh, limited series coming out next year, which is all about the world of Stephen King. They are creating this anthology that's supposed to rub up against so many existing Stephen King properties and characters and things like that. And in a teaser trailer, they announced uh, around 12 to 14 Stephen King stories that are going to make up, I guess, the backdrop of this new series. So to prepare for the new series, we are going through all of those properties. We already covered it, and we're now doing Salem's Lot. Then we're doing Creep Show, Misery, Green Mile, Shawshank, and all these others that were basically announced. And we're going to go through the movies, the novels, so on and so forth, to get completely ready so when the show drops, we can be know-it-all assholes and know all the little things that they're dropping in there and all the characters, and we can really know what's going on and then explain it to other people. People who aren't nearly as bright and smart and funny as us. That's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's over at CRTV Pod. Um, CRTVpodcast.com. And we, uh, we're currently on, I think, our eighth episode. And uh, we're having a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully, if you're a Stephen King fan, you can come on over and check us out. Uh, I'm not nearly as negative over there. <laughs> uh, really? Yeah. Really, I'm not. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm right. not. So you guys go well, check that out. And uh, Christopher, Christopher's supposed to be on this show next week. So, oh, he'll 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 class up the joint. <laughs> he'll, he'll make up for my negativity, right? Right. <laughs> what were you about? Right? What were you about to say, John? Um, I in college I was an art major and an English minor, and the reason I pursued those things is because at some point someone told me that there was no wrong answer in art or English, as long as you can explain why you did it, why you did it, why you made your choice or whatever, then you're right. Uh, so, uh, Skipper, you're fine. You, <laughs> you, you had, you had, uh, you had good reasons for the, the hate of a thousand suns that blisters between our phones. So as long as I just didn't go sit over here with my arms crossed, I didn't like it. <laughs> you're stupid. That was stupid. You was stupid. You were stupid. <laughs> why? Because I said so. <laughs> and you're not changing my mind. <laughs> you're stupid too. <laughs> well, I certainly hope I didn't come across that way. To <laughs> my apologies too. By the way, you know, for all the fans out there who are loving the show and tuning in going, man, that skipper's an asshole. Well, fortunately, you won't have to put up with me next week. But that's where Chris will come in. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's totally fine. Oh, like, yeah. No, it was great. It's, uh, I'm never going to shy away from a good discussion. 
Uh, and by the way, if you, uh, you know, I'm so curious to see where the show goes. Um, I can't say I'm going to tune in week to week. I might. Uh, it hasn't grabbed me in that way. It seems to be the kind of show. Personally, I'm just kind of annoyed that I want the show to grab me more. And since it's not, and since I already fucking paid for it, <laughs> I think I'll wait a good five or six episodes and then take them all in one big shot and try to avoid the online spoilers and see if it really grabs me. But I mean, it really isn't that much money. I, I think, uh, I think my pocketbook can handle it, but in the meantime, I've got other things to do. It's not something that I'm dying. Oh, I can't wait until next. No, that's not happening. But you know, when I got a nice chunk of episodes, I'd like to get caught up and I hope to be surprised. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to take a break after, uh, the, the first week of November, they're going to take a break until January. So you can, let them build up until then, and then over the holidays, binge uh, the four or five episodes that you haven't watched, and uh, and see if you like where it's going from there. But um, everybody, if you want to hear uh, John and I and Rick talk about stuff other than Star Trek, you can check us out at uh, Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast, over at CosmicPotato.com. Uh, it's on iTunes and Stitcher and soundcloud and all those good places and and this show uh simply syndicated discovery after show is available on itunes as well and over at simply syndicated.com go over there listen to some of those podcasts there's a ton of podcasts on that site uh rick hosts probably 12 of them <laughs> shit no no rick rick really does host like uh three or four shows over on that network uh, but um but yeah go check that out and uh until next week Next week's episode has a really funky title. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick before I... The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a weird title for a Star Trek episode, so I'm looking forward to seeing oh, yeah. what that means. Can't wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> What's that mean? I don't yeah. know. I'm loving it. Actually. <laughs> it's different. It's different. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us for Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. Your feedback is welcome. Leave us a comment and review on iTunes or follow us on Facebook. The views and opinions stated on this program are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of Simply Syndicated, CBS, Paramount Pictures, or their sponsors. Star Trek Discovery is owned by CBS and has no affiliation with Simply Syndicated or this podcast. No infringement of copyrighted material is intended. Be sure to join us again next week as we analyze another episode of Star Trek Discovery here on Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show.